There's a lovely book about Chinese Zen masters. On one occasion, sand was filling up and obstructing a spring that was being dug in a temple. The master said to his monks, what is it that obstructs the Dharma eye? Sand is obstructing the spring. What is it that obstructs the Dharma eye? So, what is the Dharma eye? Anyone know? The eye of the Dharma is the awakening to the truth, is often referred to as one receives or one has the Dharma eye, the Dharma vision. What is it that obstructs the Dharma eye? The monks remain silent. So the Master said, the eye obstructs the Dharma eye. What does that mean? What he's saying is that the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, the desire for sense gratification through any of the sense doors, and delusion, the inability to see clearly, to understand, that is our obstruction. That is our obstruction. And very often, the great masters, not only of Zen, would say on their deathbed or in their parting moments, they would say to their students, take care. They would be asked for a final teaching or a great teaching, and they would say only two words, take care. Well, what must we take care of? We must take care of this obstruction the eye, the blindness of the eye, and open to the Dharma. That's taking care. And we might think it can't be that simple. But if you refine it down to its ultimate simplicity, it's about taking care. Let's look at that a little bit. What is it that the Tibetan nun, through a film, could impart with her dharma eye, with her very palpable gaze from eyes that had seen the truth. It was that open clarity, so penetrating. And what is it that she was able to take care of with her one phrase, O mani pemi hung, may all beings be free from suffering. That's really an amazing practice that in every moment we take so much care that all we can think of, all we can bring up in consciousness is the well-being of others. And of course, in the beginning, sand obstructs the spring and we can't bring that forth. Instead, we bring forth dragons and monsters and centipedes and biting things that gnaw at our awareness and drag us away from the present moment. We've all experienced that. Is it true? Fear, ill will, sleepiness, resistance, defendedness, vulnerability. 
insecurity, rage, self-criticism, desire at every sense door. What does the I desire? The I desires to see beautiful things or to see the desired object. It desires not to see what it doesn't want. Don't come near me. I don't want to know. I don't like it. Every preference that we have takes us out of the present moment. So as we do that, we don't take care. When we're busy with what the eye wants or the eye doesn't want, then we're not radiating loving kindness towards all beings. Plain and simple. But we have to start with this being. We have to start just here. This is the starting point. So if in the starting point we cannot even care for our own mind to close the gate of delusion and open the spring to the truth, that fresh, clear, present moment breath, which tells everything. It tells us impermanence. It tells us that what is impermanent doesn't last, is always changing. We cannot grasp it, nor can we control it. And if we try, we suffer. So it's all suffering because this I, but now we switch it to the capital I, the me, the my, that's the I that obstructs. What is it that obstructs the Dharma I? Is the I, me. This little ignorance about what we are, this self, this is enormous. It blinds us, completely blinds us. It deafens us to the truth. It's choking us. It prevents us from swallowing what we need to digest, from chewing on it, from from seeking it, from understanding it, from imbibing it, from being permeated with it. So then the spring cannot flow. And the sand is the dust in the eye. When the Buddha was first awakened, he was reluctant to teach this profound teaching because he thought that beings had too much dust in their eyes. But later he was persuaded by Brahma Sampati that, no, there are beings that have little dust. So pray, Lord, teach out of compassion to those that have little dust. Well, here we are. We do. We have little dust in our eyes. It may seem like a lot of dust, but even a little dust, you know what it feels like when you get a little particle in your eye and just walk around scratching and rubbing and... It's so irritating. So even though we have little dust in our eyes, we're so irritated and we're so insufferable. We suffer a lot and we are insufferable to ourselves. We cannot bear the suffering that we have, that we create, that we attract or are attracted to through the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue body, the mind, thought. Oh, sitting in the hall and thinking about the past, thinking about the future, thinking about what we like, what we don't like, what we do, what we don't do. All the different formations that arise in the mind, 
zillions of forms, ideas. It's endless, relentless. It's an unending obstruction that keeps pouring out of the mind. And the Dharma eye can only arise if we can stop with that, give up on that, and come back to just this one thing, taking care of this moment, this breath. May all beings be free from suffering, beginning with this being. Okay, now we come to the conundrum. Who is this being? Well, the more we open this gate into the Four Noble Truths, we see that all these formations, physical formations, mental formations, that are arising and ceasing endlessly, as long as we breathe and are connected to life, they're impermanent. They bring us suffering, and there is no self that holds it all together. And this doesn't mean annihilation. It actually means freedom. Because as long as we concoct a self, we're bound by that self, which is desiring more and more and more. But it's not a self. It's just mental process and physical process connected together and believing in something solid. When the body passes away, we think that I'm dying. But we are not understanding this is the passing away of this physical formation and this concoction of mental formations connected to it. But karmically, the residue of that still has to take another birth or another form or appear in another realm where we have to complete our work or receive the benefits of whatever good work we've performed. But still, there's still attachment. There's still not complete awakening. This is very hard to convey in words. But the more we study, the more we take care of the mind, the more we take care of the heart and bring up these sublime qualities, clearing the spring, so the fresh water, the fresh seeing, of the Dharma eye can arise. So loving kindness, loving kindness is non-ill will, it's non-hatred. It's a giving up of holding anything against any other being, including ourselves. Not an eye, but mental and physical process. And thinking of it then, or realizing then that no one gets enlightened, but clarity, awakening, knowledge and vision, wisdom, arise in consciousness. And this field of cognition that we are able to use as an instrument is how that arising of knowledge and vision, understanding of truth, can be known, can be cognized, can be realized, can be understood. And seeing these Four Noble Truths, the impermanence, this suffering that arises is impermanent, 
and seeing the origin of this suffering, where is it? It's here in, in this body-mind conglomerate connection. This is where it arises. It doesn't arise in someone else. We can't know this truth by seeing somebody else and seeing it in their minds. We see it in our own minds. But we can certainly see suffering that other people have to go through. And then from that we can realize everywhere we look, how many names have we read or heard that tell a story, a tale, which could be about our own life. My 96-year-old dad, my child, my cousin, my uncle, my brother, my mother, my friend, my colleagues, the 12 little boys that got caught in the cave in Thailand, and one man died trying to save them. How did they survive that? They were on retreat for 12 days in a cave, in the dark, stuck. They couldn't go anywhere. They had that little bit of food left, They drank the water that was dripping down from the walls of this deep cave in the bowels of the earth. Nobody came for 12 days. Here we are in the cave. Just six days, not even that. And we're squirming and we're suffering so much. What did those little boys do? Their coach was pretty intelligent. He was an ex-monk. He taught them how to meditate. He taught them not to indulge in fear. He taught them how to practice not being afraid. And as a group, they supported each other. Heaven knows how they were able to do that. Those tender little beings in that precarious situation. But they did it. And then immediately afterwards, they all went into a monastery to take temporary ordination. Such a power this practice has that if we're able to know suffering and see the origin of it within our own hearts, then we can really bring a stop to that suffering here and now by using these practices, not hating, not fearing, This is taking care of the mind. Not giving in when we see desire arising in the mind. Not running after it. Not giving vent to our ill will. Practicing compassion. Not judging. Not giving in to judging ourselves or others. Forgiving. Being able to rejoice for the well-being of others. Rejoice for the success of others even if we are not in a successful position. So we cultivate a joyful feeling. It's letting go this hungry monster of a self. It's like a hungry ghost. It can never be fed enough. We can feed it till the cows come home and it'll still be hungry. We know this from the society of consumerism that we live in. It never ends. There's always another sale. Something that we want is on sale and we have to have it. What are we having? 
We cannot take care of our own minds, so we try to feed our mouths, feed our sense doors. More sights, more sounds, more smells, more tastes, delicious taste. Thank you, Gretchen. (laughs) (laughs) And delightful thoughts, fascinating information that we can collect and know. But that's what we do. That's how we live our lives. So this is an urgent project. Let us not wait till we're too habituated and too attached to all the things that we've achieved and done, which are wonderful things, wonderful achievements, wonderful advances in science to help beings overcome their suffering. But in the end, we have to take care of our mind. That is the greatest medicine. We can purify our minds and still do so much good for the world in our field of expertise. It doesn't mean that we can't be doing all those things. But to develop that care of the mind so that we're working for our own happiness, but also for the happiness and well-being of everyone. There's a story about a doctor at the time when the bomb dropped on Hiroshima and when all the dust had landed and he came to consciousness and there were dead bodies all around, everywhere, everywhere he looked, there was death. And many beings also very injured, very sick, very full of radiation and poisoning. And he felt such despair, he just wanted to die. He thought, there's no use doing anything. And then someone came to him and said, please, there are people here in pain. They need your help. And so he started to tend to the sick. And he never stopped. He worked tirelessly tending to the sick until he died. He didn't live very long because he also had radiation poisoning. But he did whatever he could with his bare hands, with whatever he could find in in the hospital that was mostly destroyed, trying to heal those who could be healed. That's how we bring up the Dharma eye. That is how we remove the sand from obstructing the fresh spring within us, is by healing this, the sickness in the mind. The body can be healed up to a point, and then it dies, no matter what we do. But the mind can be truly healed. The mind can be awakened by taking care of it. And that's how we bring up the fourth noble truth. Taking care of the mind is this eightfold noble path. It's not just meditation. It's virtue, meditation, and the development of wisdom. They all go together. They are not separate. Right view, right intention. That means how we see. That's the the main thing, is to be able to open our eyes and see the truth of things. See the truth of what's arising here under our nose, the breath and our belly, the breath, the whole body formation and how we hold it, how we walk, how we sit. Are we gentle? Are we working and living with integrity? 
or are we deceitful, are we aggressive? In those moments we can adjust, we can abandon aggression, abandon ill will, abandon greed. There was one woman on the retreat who told me how greedy she felt coming up to the counter in the kitchen and wanting to dive into her favorite dish of food. But then when she came to that bowl of food, she just took her little portion using the dhamma, just taking what she needed and not following the greed. That was a moment of victory. All of us can easily have these moments of victory. We just have to take care of this mind. Then the path arises, right speech, right action, right livelihood, how we spend our time, how we spend our energy. Money is energy. How do we use our power, power of wisdom, the power of our understanding, the power of our vision, the power of how we hold ourselves and others, struggling with our fear, not running away from it, not running away from it, but not even battling with it, but just understanding it, letting the pain of what we experience arise and meeting it right there in the body, in the mind, meeting it right there and knowing it for what it is and standing up through our dhamma wings. We abandon what obstructs us. We slowly polish it until it gives up, until it's exhausted, not letting it exhaust us. I've been exhausted by my fear and trepidation, but I don't give up. It's just to keep working with it until we are able to tame the mind completely. That means right livelihood, then right effort, this effort that doesn't give up. We don't give up. We keep digging, we keep removing the sand, the spring trickles out, we keep digging, removing the sand, until the Dharma eye is not obstructed. Where is the Dhamma eye? It's right here. Nowhere else. We can go circling throughout the world looking for that ultimate happiness that will not fade away and disappoint us. And where is it? It's right here within us. We can waste so much time looking here, there, and everywhere. It's right here. Then if we're trapped in a cave, we don't have to fear. Even if we are to die in the cave, we will not have died without realizing the truth here within us. And then, imagine living a whole life without realizing. Now that, that would be the saddest thing. And so many beings do live, have a wonderful life, and die. They don't realize the Dhamma eye. But they have brought much benefit to many beings and themselves. So we have a precious opportunity here. Even if we do bring many benefits to the world, we cannot change 
the world, ultimately the world is the world. The world that the Buddha lived in was full of suffering. It was full of greed, hatred, and delusion. That's the nature of the world. But the world is our testing ground. It's our spiritual laboratory. This is the place where awakening can happen. So we're very fortunate to be here working together in this way. Right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. Maybe later today I can speak about how concentration can be used in a way to develop this path with four powers. These are the basis for success in this practice. May all beings in every realm realize complete freedom from suffering. Thank you for listening.